1: You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
2: As we welcome you along to the start of the bank holiday weekend and the start of the jazz uh, festival, we start with the story of the interpreter for the 33 year old man accused of the murder of Ashleen Murphy. He's told the Central Criminal Court that he made a spontaneous confession to him. Joseph Pushka of Linally Grove, Mukla, County Offaly, has pleaded not guilty to the murder of Ashleen Murphy on the banks of the Grand Canal in Tullamore, County Offaly, back in January of last year. Our reporter Andrew Loud has been following proceedings this week at the Central Criminal Court and Andrew joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Andrew.
3: Good morning, Patricia.
2: And, and you are uh, welcome. Now, we heard earlier in the week from a woman named Anne-Marie Kelly. She happened to be out walking her dog in Tullamore on that day. What did she have to say?
3: That's right, Patricia. This is the 12th of January 2022, as you highlighted at the top of this piece. And this is the day Ashing Murphy died. And she said that she was walking her dog along an area called the Church Road in Tullamore. It kind of links the Tullamore Retail Park towards the centre of the town. And she, she said she was walking her dog past McDonald's in Tullamore when she first noticed somebody behind her on a bike. And she said that she felt someone very close to her. She turned around and looked and saw that a man was cycling a bike very slowly behind her and staring directly at her. And she said the footpath widened and that she stepped in to let the man pass, but he wouldn't do so, she said. And she told the jury that she continued walking, but that she felt very uncomfortable. And she stopped and decided to look at her phone. and um, She said maybe to look for a podcast or something, and that this was to make sure that the man had to pass her and she said that he did pass her in a really slow motion. This is what she told the jury of nine men and three women. And as he did so, she said that he looked back and was staring directly at her for what felt like a few minutes, but was probably a few seconds. And she said that he was going past her literally in slow motion, looking back over his shoulder, staring directly back at her. And she said that it felt like an intimidating stare and she was cross-examined by the defence barrister, Mr. Michael Bowman, who put to her that um, Josef Pushka re- uh, re- recollects um, this particular encounter, but um, he put to her that uh, he definitely looked back at her, but uh, it wasn't he wasn't staring at her. And um, she said that this was not what it felt like to her.
2: OK, and obviously struck out in her mind that she went to the gardie uh, with it. Now, later in the week, the, jur- the jury heard supposed confessions made to Gardaí. Now, this was th- through a translator. Can you outline what happened there?
3: Yeah, so just to kind of provide a little bit of a background uh, for your listeners, uh, Patricia. So, Josef Pushka um, had told Gardy on the 13th of January 2022. This was when emergency services were called uh, to his father's house in Crumlin in Dublin that uh, he had been stabbed the day before um, in Blanchardstown in West Dublin. Now, he said that he went, um, he got a lift from Tullamore to. Dublin, Houston. There, he got a taxi out to Blanchardstown. He said he was meeting a woman, and um, then he said when he got out of the taxi, he was set upon by two men, and that he got these stab wounds. Uh, the next, uh, the next morning, the 13th of January, emergency services transferred him to St James's Hospital, and this is uh, where he was interviewed by Guardy from Blanchardstown, who were actually investigating um, a stabbing incident out there as it happens, and. They interviewed him. They thought there was some holes in his story. Something didn't add up. He said they, they said he was very vague. So they they were told that he had an address in Tullamore by Yosef Pushka, and uh, then they they um they brought that information to um the Garda in Tullamore themselves, and um, two Garda from from uh, Offaly, Detective Sergeant Brian Jennings from Bergard Station, as well as Detective Garda uh, Fergus Hogan they uh, went up to Tullamore, or to uh, St. James's Hospital, I should say, from Tullamore. And uh, they, they here they met with Joseph Pushka twice. First at around lunchtime. This Sorry, this is on the 14th of January. They met with him twice. So two days after Ashing Murphy died. Uh, first was around lunchtime. They spoke about the stabbing incident and what happened and looked for his account on that. And then the second time was around, um, was sometime that evening, around six o'clock. And they said, and... At this point, a third um, officer from uh, Tullamore, uh, Sergeant Pamela Nugent, travelled up to St. James's Hospital with a search warrant and against the hospital. And um, Detective Sergeant Jennings said that he went up there to the hospital. Mr. Pushka was a patient there. Uh, Guardy had the search warrant in connection with the investigation into the murder of Ashling Murphy. And Detective Sergeant Jennings said he asked to speak to Mr. Pushka because they were seizing his possessions. So Mr. Pushka was brought to a single room. He had been staying in a mixed bay on the wards, About uh, I think there were six beds in there, but they brought him to a room on his own for his privacy. This was hospital staff. And um, Detective Sergeant Jennings uh, said that Joseph Pushka was awake and alert, and he had asked Mr. Pushka if He had heard about the murder, and Yosef Pushka said he had, and he asked then if he was a a suspect. Detective Sergeant Jennings said he was a person of interest, and then told the jury that there was a notable pause, and that Yosef Pushka uh, spoke with an interpreter that Guardy had organized for both conversations they had with Yosef Pushka that day, and um, the interpreter said Yosef Pushka was making an official statement. And uh, Detective Sergeant uh, Brian Jennings was told that Yosef Pushka was admitting he committed murder. And he, the interpreter said, Mr. Pushka said, I did it. I murdered the murderer. This is still the account of Detective Sergeant Brian Jennings, who said that he immediately cautioned Yosef Pushka that he did not have any th- He did not have to say anything further and that he offered him a solicitor.
2: And then the interpreter also gave evidence to the, uh, to the jury. What did he say?
3: That's right. This is a man named uh, uh, Miroslav Sedlacek. And uh, he told the jury that about this second conversation between uh, Gardaí and Josef Pushka. He said that he was hired for both occasions. Um, He's actually from the Czech Republic, but he offers translation services in uh, in Czech, in Slovak and in German. And he said this second conversation took place at around six o'clock on the evening of the 14th of January, and it lasted about 20 minutes. And he said the conversation began with Gardy telling Yosef Pushka about the search warrants that they had and explaining that his personal belongings would have to be seized uh, for an investigation into a murder in Tullamore. And he told the jury that Yosef Pushka wanted to know how this was related to him, and he wanted to know if he was a suspect. So... Uh, Miroslav Sedlacek said Gardi told him that he was a person of interest and Mr Sedlacek said that he explained to Josef Pushka what this meant and he then said that he remembered very well what happened after this and he said it was at this point Yosef Pushka asked him personally to translate his confession and he said Yosef Pushka asked him to translate accurately and exactly what he was saying and he said Yosef Pushka told him to tell Gardy that he did it, that he killed her, and that he did not do it intentionally. Now, Mr. Sadlicek said that at this point, this was still a conversation just between him and Josef Pushka before he even had the chance to translate. He said that it was quite spontaneous. He said everything came quite quickly. He said Josef Pushka said that he did not want to do it, that he was very sorry he did it, and that it happened. And Mr. Sadlicek then said he translated to Gardy word for word and that uh, Guardy cautioned Yosef Pushka, and he translated the caution. Mr. Pushka said he understood, and uh, Mr. Sadlick said Yosef Pushka wanted to stress that he did not do anything intentionally, and um, Miroslav Sadlichk said Mr. Pushka then started asking questions. He said that he appeared very concerned for the safety of his family. His first concern was whether or not his family members' names would go public. Um, Gardy said his own name would go public, and uh, he also asked if there was any possibility that the girl's family would like to take any revenge on his own family for what he had done to her. And he said Gardy explained that uh, the girl's family certainly would not take revenge on his family. And Miroslav Sedlacek said Yosef Pushka's voice was very different from the first conversation they had uh, that he had had with him. Remember, the uh, Gardy. Uh, Mr. Sadlicek and Yosef Pushka had two conversations on that day, one at lunchtime and one uh, this evening, which is this one. He said uh, his, uh, Yosef Pushka's voice was quite emotional, his voice was trembling, and he said that his sentences were quite disjointed and that he, ju- he supposed that this was as a result of the situation that he, that he was in.
2: OK, and uh, finally, I know the jury is set to uh, hear expert witnesses in relation to some DNA evidence. That's going to happen today, but they did get some yesterday.
3: That's right. So we got our first tra- uh, tranche of DNA evidence yesterday. We saw, we got some from uh, Dr. Kim Connick. She's a fingerprint analyst with Forensic Science Ireland. And she examined what she said were three items, a Navy, a navy fleece, raincoat, a Falcon Storm mountain bike, and a pair of sunglasses. And she said she found nothing on the jacket. She says there was an area of possible touch on the inside ends of the sunglasses. But um, she said that it wasn't sufficient to develop a fingerprint. And what happened here was uh, the sunglasses were sent to the DNA section for analysis. And she also said that she found a fingerprint mark on the underside of the saddle on the bike. Now, Detective Sergeant Damien Carroll from the Guard Technical Bureau He said he analysed a photograph of a fingerprint mark given to him by Dr. Kim Connick against uh, a set of fingerprints provided by Yosef Pushka. Now, I suppose to provide some context here, uh, Yosef Pushka provided two sets of fingerprints uh, to at Tullamore Garden Station on the 18th of January. And um, this uh, he provided two sets because uh, Detective Sergeant Carroll said the first set was incomplete and that he had requested a second set. So he said that the fingerprint mark provided by Dr. Kim Connick matched the right ring finger for Yosef Pushka. And um, we also then heard from uh, a man named John Hode. He's recently retired from Forensic Science Ireland, and he was an expert in the analysis of uh, DNA uh, uh, which uh, was uh, described to uh, to the jury by Ms Anne-Marie Lawler of the prosecution. And Mr. Holt said that he swabbed the handlebars and gear changing mechanism of this bike. And um, the, Mr. Holt said that he compared the DNA swab from the bike to DNA taken from Josef Pushka at Tullamore Garda Station and to a blood sample provided by him at St. James's Hospital. Now, Mr. Holt said that all three DNA profiles matched. He said the chances of the DNA on the bike belonging to someone other than Yosef Pushka was one in a billion of the Irish population. And in, it was in this cross-examination from the defence barrister, Mr. Michael Bowman, he kind of touched on this particular point. He put it to John Hode that Yosef Pushka was not ethnically Irish. And Mr. Hold said that, um, that this would have been uh, calculated into these considerations.
2: Okay and as I say there 's going to be more DNA evidence uh, today we 'll let you get away because I know you get, need to get back into the courthouse Andrew. We appreciate that. Thank you for joining us and talking just this morning
3: Thank you Patricia. Good morning
2: to you. That is uh, our court reporter at the Central Criminal Court for the Ashley murder murder for the Ashley Murphy murder trial, and that is Andrew Louth. We were contacted by Mike Fitzgerald, actually of uh, Star Trek's in Knocknagry, who was really upset about the fact that a uh, post office letterbox that had been at Clownthorn Cross for many, many years had suddenly been removed and nobody had been informed about it and it was causing huge complications for Mike who regularly uses that post box because it isn't just uh, him other elderly people in particular uh, were being discommoded uh, because of it and you know he shared one story with us, he's not able to drive anymore because he's got um, vision uh, issues and he needed to urgently get two letters into the post so he needed to get a taxi to take him to Rathmore in order to post uh, the letters that it cost him €23. Euro. Unfortunately, there was nobody available uh, to, to drive him to the nearest post box where he says previously he would have been able to walk to the post box, pop, pop it in at uh, Glanthorn Cross, and off the letters would go. Anyway, we got on to Ampos to say, What are you doing there? Because Mike pointed out in his message to us that it's, it's not, nobody has to go out of their way to empty that letter box because postmen and postwomen pass it every single day. Anyway, post came back and says, They're actually sourcing a new letter box. For that location. The old one was beyond use, they tell us. They've ordered a replacement and their hope is going to be in situ within the coming days. So if Mike could let us know as soon as you get your shiny new letterbox, but there is a letterbox going back to uh, Glanthorne Cross. And thanks, Ron Post, for getting back to us with that. This week, the Lord Mayor, Kieran McCarthy, along with members of the Cork City Missing Persons Search and Rescue Group, have raised concerns that interference with lifebuoy rings along the River Lee in the the city could have very tragic consequences. To share their concerns, Christy O'Donovan of the Missing Person Search and Rescue Group uh, joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Christy.
4: Morning. I'm,
2: I'm very good and thank you for taking time out uh, to talk to us. I suppose in in the nature of the work that you do with the Missing Person Search and uh, Rescue, would you recover many of these lifebuoys from the river?
5: Uh,
4: yeah, to be honest, um over the last I suppose over the last couple of months up till the start of this month we'll say we probably had recovered over the period of maybe two or three months, maybe fifteen or twenty of them. But in the last in the last fortnight we have another ten below in the base. So that we, we we do sweeps there every week on the river and we're out searching actively pretty much all the time unfortunately, but um we 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 we're picking them up down the rivers as, as passage. We can get them down rivers as as passage, so they're they're being they're being thrown in off whatever they're coming in off of, and uh, we we collect them in the river and we bring them back up to our base. And we bring um, Colin Russell there. He works for Cox City Council. He comes up and collects them. He they're re-sanitised and restaged, and until the, until the, the next one comes down the river, and we we collect that. Oh
2: God, it's just so frustrating. It really is. And listening to you, it's an issue that's always been there. But it seems to be getting worse, Christy. Is it?
4: Well, a couple of years ago, maybe if you found five or six. Maybe, well, maybe just before COVID, I suppose if you found five or six in in two or three months, it would be a lot. I remember taking a picture way back. I'd say maybe six or seven years ago, five of them, and we we, we thought that was a lot. Now you're you're looking at tens, 15, 20 of them every couple every couple of weeks. It's 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 really it's ridiculous. It's I don't know. Is it just lack of education, or do people not realise what they're doing, or is it just people just going out the weekends or whatever, just having a bit of hygiene you can think it's funny or whatever, I don't know. But most of mostly, like, to be honest and truthful, when we find them and they're all wrapped up and tied up and they're, they're, they're as they were, as they were put up on the stands, um, normally that, that's just people just not even thinking, they just do
2: a couple Yeah, performance, yeah. You'd, you know? you'd, you'd, you'd kind of think mindless vandalism or somebody worse the wear for drink thinks this is a funny thing to do. I mean, I suppose in, in, it's good to hear that they're not being damaged, but it literally is somebody just grabbing it. Nothing else to do. Asher, I'll fling this into the, in, in, into the river. But just explain to people, uh, Christy, how important those life boys are and how important that they are in place.
4: Well, I mean, you you like you, you know, Corkinshire, like cells out there banding, like all, like all rivers, most rivers, and life maybe 200 metres apart where there's public access to them. But, I mean, if if if, if somebody falls in or, or jumps in or whatever, or they get in trouble while they're swimming, and you run up to a light, look for a life ring and you run 200 metres to get it, and you're standing there and it's gone, then there's another 200 metres to go to get the next one, and that's the difference between life and death.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
4: You know, and yeah. it's, it's like, if people just thought of it that way, maybe it might be... No, I don't know. I mean look, I, I don't know, Patricia, to be honest, but like it's very dismaying for us and I'm sure all the other search re- rescue groups outside of search and recovery groups that are out there will will share the same stories. I see um a lot of other search and recovery groups there and rescue groups are sharing the same kind of stuff where Cox City Council or co- Council and other councils, Warford Council are approaching these groups to say will you go and find our ring buys because there is a cost to, there is actually a cost to restaging them. Now I didn't know about that till a couple of years ago. Whereby once they go into the water, they're deemed contaminated. Okay. The same as same as if we enter the water ourselves, uh, we're looking for people. Wherever we'd be contaminated. You have to. You, you must still decontaminate them. All, so there's a cost of the council. They must collect them. They must restage them. And that's a, like like I said, the the, the, the man in Cork City Council that we deal with, Colin. He's he's the guy who looks after the green boys and the not so channels, and he's flat out. He's absolutely flat out. And you know, you know in that like,
2: period of time of. You guys picking them up out, out of the river, getting them to Colin, the disinfection work that has to be done, there's that period of time then when that ring boy isn't available.
4: Well, it wouldn't be available. Colin, it checks every single morning. That's his, that's what he does for the council. He checks every morning. So he replaces anyone that are missing, he's on it all the time. But he knows that at any given time we we will have we'll have ring boys. So when we get to ten, we'll ring him rather than waste the time going up and down so we just drop into the city hall. But, I mean, obviously, like, the, the, like, I don't know what the cost of the City Council, but it must be fairly substantial. What, a waste,
2: what you know. a waste of money and a waste of time for Colin as well, It could be doing other jobs. Just,
3: just absolutely,
2: absolutely. it's so frustrating. I mean, I so suppose it's those that are doing it, Christy, need to reflect and think if they are a member of their family might ever need to use one of these ring boys. That's what they need to reflect on, isn't it?
4: Absolutely, Patricia. I mean, look, none of us know the minute or the hour, you're gonna need one of these, well, one of these pieces of life-saving equipment, and that's exactly what it is. It's the same with the defibrillators. If you cut a defibrillator and fire it into the river, I can guarantee if you, somebody saw it, you'd, you'd be getting, you you'll be doing some sort of time where you'd get a massive. Yeah. Water. So would if, if people are, if people are prepared to damage defibrillators, a life ring doesn't give them a second touch, You know which which and to us like they are a life ring, That's what that's what they are. Life wise so. They do save lives. There's no doubt about that. But when you see them all wrapped up and down the river, and you can see five or six of them floating on any given time, you know it just it's it's this happening for it's this happening for us because we see the aftermath, unfortunately, of of what happens when when things go wrong for people. And we we see the aftermath of when people fall of uh, fishing or whatever. We see the aftermath of all that. And sometimes like just a simple piece of equipment like a life ring, I don't know what they are, forty or fifty or sixty years or whatever they are, like that. That's between life and death. And I just I just. We we as an organisation just cannot understand how anyone anyone at all, no matter what age or how, how much drink you have, would even def- like me growing up, which is I'm a 56 year old man. Owen, I can tell you, I've never interfered with life boy in my life. All we've done is, yeah. is, is taken them. You further. wouldn't
2: even you wouldn't even think about doing it, and we need others to call it out if they're with somebody who thinks, oh, this is a bit of fun. It's for others to stand up and say, no, it isn't. Leave that life boy alone.
4: One hundred percent, one hundred percent. I just think that, like, I just, don't, I, from for the life of me, and we've been involved in this since two thousand and one. We, this our organization two thousand and one. Like for the life of me, it's just been getting. There's a decline there, and it's it it's getting steadier and steadier. A lot more in in the river. Like you can see it in the last five or six years, you just see the difference in it, and we're just collecting more and more and more and more unfortunately we're getting busier and busier which is which is is not a good thing but it's just that when you see these things floating on the river and you know somebody's picked it up and flung it in for just just out of just sheer i don't know stupidity or hygiene you can call it whatever you like but i mean the reality is it is a life-saving piece of equipment and those things should be just left alone if they're needed
6: you
2: know. John O'Donovan in, in the city kind of picking up on, on the point that uh, I made that everyone has a role to play in this and he says Cork is very much now a lively city. It's very much 24-7. Uh, there are people walking around our city at all hours of the day or night. So if somebody sees somebody tampering with one of these life boys you should ring the Gardaí uh, immediately. Actually John has done um, um, you should ring the Gardaí immediately and that people should be arrested and if we start arresting and charging people for interfering with a life-saving uh, piece of uh, equipment. So, well done, uh, Christy, to you and your group, and the Lord Mayor. Uh, you know, for, for shining a light on this because we're coming into a busy weekend. So, hopefully, people will heed uh, the uh, advice. And you're talking about. Have you ever been as busy at the search and rescue um, recovery no, unit, to be honest, Christy?
4: No, Patricia. No, not unfortunately. Not unfortunately. It's, it's like we're all volunteers and. Uh, but like I said, a lot of our search and rescue and recovery groups are all volunteers, and just it just seems to be just never ending. You know, to be honest, and it's wow. it's, it's it's just happening, to say the least. You know, it really is it's you know, and you're dealing with families and. Love ones and stuff there and it's it's very, very soul trying to see these things see the life we floating down the river because they, like that's the difference between life and death to us. You know, like if you're on the cold face as we are, you'll you'll see it every day of the week. I mean, like we, we go out a couple of times a week, we just do surface sweeps to the river and we're picking up the life buys all the time. It's 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 an everyday occurrence. When we're on the river, we'll always pick up one or two. Every
2: day. Okay. And how long are you involved um, in, in the group, Christy?
4: Um, I'm, I'm, I'm about eight years. It was set up in 2001. I'm, the, I'm, I'm at eight years now. So, And what what prompted what
2: mean. prompted you to get involved?
4: Well, a friend a, a friend of mine asked me did I have my boat driving licence, my, my 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 coxswain's licence. So I said I didn't. He said, look, he's a with will there and whatever, and blah, blah, blah. But sure, it's affected my own family uh, previous to that. A, I didn't realise that an organisation like Coxswain and Missing Persons existed. And they 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 helped they, they helped, um my wife's family. So, once yeah. um, w- w- once you're in it, and you it it's it touched everyone. Unfortunately, and I don't think I don't know anyone in my extended circle of friends or people that I know, my acquaintances and stuff that would that would not have been touched by, by by just just tragedy really. And yeah. it just that's what keeps you going. I mean, you know, it's just it's just one of those things. That, you get involved in it, unfortunately, it's very, very hard to walk away from it when you, when, 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 when you, when yeah, you get involved
2: in it, it, just like you know. What you guys and gals do, I mean, you bring closure to families at a, at a very, very sad time uh, in their lives, but you definitely bring them that closure that they need. And that's just so important when you have uh, a tragedy, you know, like what you would be witnessing.
4: Yeah, all of, I mean that's what I mean that's what's all about it's about getting the, per, the the person back to their family. and yeah. the family's centre. This is centre of the universe for us. You know that, that that's where that's where that's where it starts, finishes. You know, that's with the families because that we we've all experienced it ourselves. Most of the, most of the, the the people involved with us have all had the same had 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 unfortunately had the same tragedy visit them and. So that's what keeps all people going on the water, you know. So, well done.
2: And, and do you struggle? Then, do you struggle to get volunteers to to get involved, Christy?
4: Um, we we wouldn't struggle, but it's it really is not for everyone. So yeah, we've we've had people volunteer and they've 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 they've, they've tried it, and um, like we don't force anyone to do anything. We everyone is highly trained. We everyone is certified. Everyone that's on the boat is a fully certified. Coxswain's license. All our gear is all certified. All the safety courses are all certified. Everything is certified. It's not for everyone, to be honest, and it's very hard to get. Um, we're trying to get a, a, a mix and match, so we have we have professionals and we have we we have we have people that are that that are retired. We have um, a couple of ladies involved with us there now, so um, it's it's it, it's a it's a it's a kind of crisscross of society really, and it's, it's for some people it isn't for others. But what we try and do is when we pick all volunteers, we're tra- we're trying to just. It's it's not something that it's 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 not something that you would you can readily take there. I know, if, if, I know, I know. It's, it's hard to describe it now. Yeah. No, you're
2: doing well. You're, you're, you're doing you well, know. but you're such a dedicated uh, bunch of volunteers. You really are uh, incredible. Um, and uh, please, God, you won't have a busy weekend, but uh, stay safe yourselves uh, as well, Christy. But uh, thank you for joining us and talk to us on the programme this All morning. Well, have
4: a good weekend. Yeah. Have, a good, have a good weekend, everyone. Thanks yeah. very much, Patricia. Bye-bye, bye, bye bye-bye. That,
2: that is uh, Christy O'Donovan, who joins us from the Cork City Missing Person Search and Recovery. And please, if you see anybody messing about, with the life boys and the life rings, will you just get them to stop? Now, we don't review that many children's books on the program, but one came across my desk that caught my eye as the story it tells is one I was not aware of. Jennifer Farley is the author and illustrator of Wonder Vet, which tells the story of Aileen Crust, the first female vet in Ireland and Great Britain. And I'd like to say, Jennifer joins me this morning. Good morning to Jennifer. Hi, Patricia. How are you? And thank you for, for joining us. Firstly, your book, it's, it's beautiful. The colors just pop out at you. It, it really is gorgeous. And it's, and it's lovely. Thank you very much. And it's lovely the fact that you're the author and the illustrator. Normally I'll speak with an author who will then be talking about the illustrator. So it's great to, you are, (laughs) you're, you're very talented. Now, how did you come across (laughs) Alien Story?
7: Well, I, I, I came across it sort of gradually. It wasn't really one particular article that I read and suddenly thought, oh, this is it. It was just over time I saw her name kind of crop up in a few different places and newspaper articles. And um, eventually it just started to kind of formulate a few thoughts in my head, you know, that she was such an inspirational woman. And the more I read about her, I just thought, oh my God, she's like, a, she's almost like Indiana Jones in some ways <laughs> that, you know, some of the things that she she got up to.
2: <laughs> now, we need to tell her story. She was born in County Tipperary, yeah. 1868, we're talking about. Uh, what's That's known, right. What's yeah. known about her early life and, and who was inspiring her in her early life?
7: Well, her early life, I, you know, she she did grow up in a wealthy family um, and her dad, uh, he wasn't quite a. I don't know if he was quite a landlord, but he was a, a, a very wealthy man. I'm not sure if he was particularly well liked, but they grew up, Aileen and her brothers grew up uh, in a house in, in Tipperary. And it sounded like she had a really fabulous um, er, early years, uh, you know, lots of outdoor activity. You know, she had, they had dogs and horses and that kind of thing. Um, so it sounded like, you know, an idyllic kind of childhood in in Ireland.
2: And she wasn't your typical girly girly for that era. She loved being out and about.
7: Oh, she did. Yeah. She would have liked, you know, playing around with in, in the muck, just like all the other boys and girls who might have been out there. Uh, she wasn't tiptoeing around in her, you know, in her fancy dress. She definitely liked to be out and about and, and then you know, unfortunately, and
2: her her dad died when she was quite, quite young. And the mother made the decision uh, to take them all to um, England. And it, it was yeah. her, her grandmother had a bit of an influence on her.
7: She did. Her, her grandmother was an influence. Uh, she was a painter. Her name was A.M. Cust. And she also wrote a book. Um, she wrote a book about cats. Uh, and that was, you know, that was, really early on in um that would have been before Aileen was born that that book was um was written it was called The Cat History and Diseases by Lady M. A. Cust <laughs> uh so yeah she was uh, she, you know she would have been surrounded by uh, animal lovers herself um and she she just seemed to adore animals right from, from the beginning herself.
2: So then she she was in England then um, and she wanted, came of age, I know her mum wanted her to be a nurse, but she always wanted to yeah. be a, a vet. Now, that was tricky because she would have been the only female in the veterinary college, wouldn't she? Yeah.
7: Uh, absolutely. I mean, I think there was sort of, you know, definitely a certain... <laughs> amount of rowing with her mother about the idea of her even going to study uh, something like uh, veterinary uh, medicine. And, you know, Aileen did leave uh, with the help of a family friend who gave her some money, which allowed her to go to to the uh, university in Edinburgh. So I think she had a fairly frugal lifestyle when she got to Edinburgh. And... uh, she worked very hard at university and she was actually she was the only girl uh, in the class but she was one of the best if not the best and uh, she you know she won medals for her study in zoology and uh, she was really you know would have been an outstanding uh, student in the class
2: but then they wouldn't let her sit um, her final exams
7: that's right yeah unfortunately at that time Ladies (laughs) Ladies <laughs> weren't treated with the same respect, and she wasn't allowed to to do her exams. Uh, she went through the full, you know, the full course. Several years of studying about animals and uh, when it came time for her to sit the exams to do her diploma, she wasn't allowed to do it Um, really just because she was a female, which is just—it's very hard to believe that now. And then, of course, without without
2: the piece of paper, she couldn't practice as a vet. So that brings her back to Ireland where she becomes a veterinary assistant.
7: That's right. She came She she came back to Ireland. Now, she did have an ally in the university. Uh, the, the president, I can't remember if he was the president or the principal of the university in Edinburgh, did, um, you know, have high regard for her and, and uh, helped her get a contact with a vet in Ireland called Willie Byrne. And she came back to Ireland and she went to work with Willie uh, for several years. And, she- and that's where... Initially, it was very difficult for her. You know, people didn't trust a female vet. They didn't think she'd be able to do it. So it was, you know, a bit tricky for her to begin with. But then over time, you know, they could see how good she was. And, uh, you know, she, she became a very well respected person.
2: Yeah, I mean, that gender bias, I remember back in the nineties, a friend of mine was a vet, and when she used to go out to some farms, it wasn't in Cork, it was mm. other parts of the country, uh, the, an older farm, the older farmers would often say, will you send the the man vet? <laughs> she had to build up, she had to build up and say, I can do it just as good. Now, as you say, Absolutely. when you said Aileen was a bit of an Indiana Jones, uh, world, she would have lived through, uh, World War One. She went to France yeah. to help with their war horses. Yeah.
7: and... Th- that's right. Um, and this was probably the part of her life that I really locked on to um, to begin with, because I just found this really fascinating. She actually drove herself from Ireland to France during World War One to volunteer um to look after the war horses. Uh, in with the the British Army. And I mean, even just for her to get to to France would have been a difficulty. But I think that, you know, the conditions when she got there would have been very, very difficult. Um, And, you know, I I, like I was very interested in that myself and my husband had gone to see the play War Horse years and years ago. I mean, we both kind of sobbed through it because it was Mm. so sad and so beautiful. Um, And then we'd also been on a trip ourselves to Flanders and the Somme. And, um, you know, I just learned so much on that trip about about World War One, because I really didn't know very much about it. So when I had read about Aileen going there and working with the horses, I just... You know, my admiration for her was just, you know, incredible. she was, she was, she was incredible. incredible.
2: And I'm delighted to say that in 1922, she, she was allowed to take those final uh, exams and she did That's then become right. first female veterinary that, surgeon in both Ireland and Great Britain. And she is the reason, yes. Jennifer, that we now have so many female vets today. I mean, she, yeah, pay, she paved the way, didn't she?
7: Yeah, she she absolutely did. She she was a huge inspiration to others, um, and she broke that barrier that it, it took so long to to get through. That the laws changed in nineteen nineteen, and then she was allowed to sit her exams in nineteen twenty. And of course, I, you know, there, there was no question that she she wasn't going to be an officially a vet then. So yeah, she she did um, make a new trail for people to follow. Uh, incredibly inspirational woman
2: oh, it's, it's fantastic and the, and the book is to say uh, you did the illustrations uh, as well i mean they are beyond beautiful your illustrations um are oh, you, are thank you very much are you pleased with the way it's turned out
7: i am yeah. <laughs> I am. Yeah, I, I'm delighted with this uh, and the, the printing. And it was it was published by Beehive Books, who really got on board with the project. And, you know, I can't really thank them enough. They were they're they're great. I am. I am very pleased. Obviously, there's a few things I'm looking at and I'm kind of cringing a little bit. But um you know, I think that's fairly normal when yeah. you look back well, at work you started it's, on.
2: It's terrific. And I'm a great advocate to buy books for uh, children. And we're coming into that very yeah. busy period uh, coming up to Christmas. So please, uh, when you're out buying books, include this one, Wonder Vet, The Amazing Adventures of Aileen uh, Crust. Listen, it's fantastic, Jennifer. And it was a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you for that. Thanks.
7: Thank you so much, Patricia. I really appreciate it. Thanks.
2: Good luck with the book. Thanks a million for joining us. Uh, Bye bye. Uh, The Friday of the Bank Holiday Weekend means it's it's a Friday of the Jazz Weekend uh, in uh, Cork. And according to Cork Airport, they're expecting 53,000 people to pass through the airport over the next uh, few days. And that, by the way, is a 23% increase on last year's October uh, bank holiday and thousands of visitors are expected from overseas and from all around the country and the good people of Cork will all be turning out for the Cork Guinness Jazz uh, Festival. So just a word of advice, if you are on the roads, the roads are going to be extremely busy this weekend, busier than uh, normal. So please be careful because it is just desperately sad Uh, to see that the death toll on the nation's roads so far this year has matched the total figure for all of last year. That obviously is prompting appeals for an urgent introduction of tougher penalties and it's also a call for more Gardaí to be out on the roads. 155 people have now been killed on Irish roads for 2023 the latest was a man in his 50s on Wednesday night in County uh, Sligo that was a collision between a van and an e-scooter that became our latest uh, tragedy the Road Safety Authority their Chief Executive Sam Wade is coming out at the start of the weekend saying look this year we've seen an alarming increase in fatalities and the RSA is urging all road users to please work together to keep our roads safe for the remaining Remainder of the year particularly now as we go into the winter months which of course obviously present additional challenges and we've got the clocks going back uh, tomorrow night so we'll have the uh, darker evenings and actually the death Told The fact that so many people have been killed on our roads this year, it's, it prompted a debate actually in the Dawl yesterday. Politicians are again calling for higher penalty points to be brought in across the board, hoping that that might improve road safety. Uh, we know, and I mentioned it on the programme last week, that the junior roads minister, Jack Chambers, he had outlined plans to double penalty points on bank holiday weekends and this is something that they do in uh, other uh, countries. But now, At the debate yesterday, some TDs are saying that that should be extended to cover all periods, not just the bank holiday uh, weekend. The Sinn Féin's transport spokesperson, Martin Kenny, he is uh, saying about Jack Chambers' plan for the double points on a bank holiday weekend, that it it needs to be considered carefully so that you avoid any unintended consequences from any new legislation. And he was raising the issue of speeding. And he says that there are some drivers out on our roads and you'll find them all over the country. And they're driving as if they're at the Monte Carlo rally. He said they speed they drive erratically, they drive recklessly and he said we need to have measures to be able to ensure that those people are actually uh, caught. Uh, Green Party uh, TD also spoke about his own children. This is uh, Mark O'Cossack. He was talking about his own children who a really near miss. They were always almost knocked down by a car and he outlined in the door how his children had lined up and he's obviously trained them well. You know, you stand at a pedestrian crossing crossing, and this was a sink pedestrian crossing and there were about to cross the road when a driver coming up to the pedestrian crossing accelerated. He said it happened in broad daylight. They were on their way to school, which is obviously a critical time for the vulnerable road users. And he said the fact of the matter is that it doesn't matter how much high visibility gear you're wearing, if a driver isn't looking and isn't concentrating, he or she will not see a pedestrian crossing and will not see young children about to cross. And and the, the Green Party TD pointed out, you know, for a vulnerable road user, such as a cyclist or a pedestrian or a child walking to school, They're not trivial incidents because they're not encased in in a tonne of steel, which is what some cars and trucks will be. Uh, So they've got nothing to protect them from the impact if they are hit by a a car or another vehicle. And then, with great interest, I heard the Transport Minister, Eamon Ryan, he actually conceded in the doll that despite improvements in recent years... He said Irish roads are simply not safe for children to walk or to cycle to school. He says, well, there has been improvements in recent years. He said our streets are simply not safe. He said they're not safe for children to walk or cycle. And he said they're not even safe for very experienced cyclists. And I think that took a lot for Eamon Ryan uh, to say that because he has been the one who's been constantly promoting people getting on their bikes and cycling, constantly been promoting that parents should allow their children to either cycle to school or to walk to school. And whenever on this programme, we raise the issue of, you know, a lot of cars being around schools that drop off and pick up will inevitably have, you know, some people from an older generation. Oh, in my day, we always walked. And why are all these children being so lazy that they're dropped off right as close to the school gates as possible? And whenever we call out a comment like that, we'll get a slew of comments in from parents with young children to say, I'd love the idea of my child walking or cycling to school. But it simply is too dangerous. And here we had, even in the doll yesterday, a Green Party TD citing his own children who had a very near miss, miss. And then the Transport Minister, Eamon Ryan, conceding that the roads are not safe for children uh, to walk our cycles. So please, we're going into a bank holiday weekend. And, and we know on bank holiday weekends, we, we've had a tendency in the past... There's always an increase in accidents and road fatalities and people left with life altering uh, injuries. So please slow it down if you're out and about on the streets, or if you're out and about driving this weekend, but like leave the phones, you know, just don't have the phone in the car with you. Anything that can cause a distraction. Always 103, 103 Some other topics uh, coming into us on the programme. Hi, uh, Patricia. This is the Sky customer from Monday show who Contacted you very, very frustrated because remember she was trying to get through to Sky to cancel and couldn't get through. Well, I'm just back on at the end of the week to say I still haven't been able to cancel my Sky TV account all week long. We have sent a letter to them as was advised by a number of your listeners. I work and I'm dealing with these individuals all week long and I can't get through to speak to anyone. It is still unresolved. God help me. Says the texter. OK, all I can say is that anyone who wrote to them, I think it was about a week to 10 days before they were contacted and then it was at the end of the month. They then put in the 31 days notice. I think that's how it works. So hang in there, your letter. Surely will have got to you, to them by now. So hopefully by early next week, you should have some kind of communication back from them or maybe they'll even call you today. Maybe it'll be happy Friday and you'll get a call from them today. But hang in there. You're doing all the right things. But yes, I absolutely can sense your frustration. Hi, Patricia. I was watching uh, the Tonight programme last night. They were dealing with raw sewage being discharged into our rivers. We spoke about that on the programme yesterday. It is unbelievable the amount of raw sewage uh, going into our rivers and uh, seas. And it was uh, Tim... Lumberd, I'm assuming that's our own Senator Tim Lombard and a man from Kilfinan who said there were rats coming up the toilet bowls because of it. It's hard to imagine that that is actually happening and it was the EPA uh, came out and kind of had a real go at... Uh, Irish Water saying the amount of work that needs to be done to bring up our water standards and to have proper water treatments because besides the evidence that they had on the raw sewerage going directly into the seas and the rivers they also they had evidence of treatment plants that are just not working uh, properly or they're overburdened or overloaded there's, there's been too much building in the area so there's a lot of work to be done to bring our water quality uh, up to speed Oh eight one eight, one zero three one zero three, 103 103 and then Don in Killarney is picking up on a news story that slightly annoyed him and the news story is the fact that AIB have announced that they are intending to give health insurance cover to all of their staff well that has annoyed Don because Don said they're doing that at a time when so many other families are suffering and struggling to pay their mortgages their rent etc these people are giving benefits to their staff bearing in mind all the troubles that banks gave us and the trouble that banks got this country into and to think mortgage rates and, uh, are rising all the time and AIB can can decide to do this so I did a quick uh, check and Don in Killarney is right AIB have announced that from the 1st of January next it will be providing all its employees with access to a plan with a wide range of health benefits and access to treatments and treatment centres and they're doing it with VHI and with um, uh, Bupa uh, that is not sitting well with Don in Killarney Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. John Paul's taking your calls you can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862 103 103.
7: 103
2: Jobs. Let's kick off with a rigid truck driver is wanted. It's for a Cork to Dublin run once a week. There will also then be some local work here in Cork. Call 087 27 365 or you can send an email to gerrylenaghan2 at gmail.com. The Donkey Sanctuary in Lyscarrel have vacancies for a part-time veterinary nurse. They're also looking for an executive assistant. Full details available on their website www.thedonkeysanctuary.org.uk A full R part-time childcare assistant is wanted to work in the Cary Navarre area. Email tracy38murphy at yahoo.co.uk and kitchen kitchens, they've got a vacancy for an apprentice cabinet maker. You must have good English and your own transport would be an advantage. CVs please to info at bandingkitchens.ie You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court
1: today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. Cmig.ie.
2: Now we often get questions into Jane, our resident vet, about what to do with the remains of a much loved pet once they've passed over the Rainbow Bridge. So to talk to us about pet cremation, I'm joined by Eamon Cody and Eamon is with Resting Pets, uh, which is a lovely name, uh, in Tremor in County Waterford. Good morning to you, Eamon.
5: Good morning. How are you?
2: Um, I'm very well and you're welcome to the programme. I suppose, go back, how and why did you decide to open up a pet crematorium?
5: It's just a long story. It, it, uh, what happened was I I was the proud owner of a of a a, a very large great dane for a long long time, and uh, poor old Mason died. Uh, I went to try and get him cremated, and I couldn't. The only place I could find for Mason to be cremated was in Newry. I didn't want to send him off up to Newry and wait wait six or eight weeks for his ashes to come back, so. Mason ended up being buried in the middle of a very large flower bed in our in, in our garden. So I decided after that something had to be done about this.
2: And I have to say, there is nothing as painful as having to bury a much loved pet. It,
5: it, I tell you, it was it, it was terrible. And and because of the the the, the, the I mean Mason Mason was fifteen stone weight. Like he Whoa. was, you know, he, he was a huge he was a huge dog, you know. Uh, we actually, we actually ended up going into town and hiring a mini digger, you know. So it was, it was a horrendous thing, and it's, it's still, the house is still not right after, and that was, that was all he- heading for three years ago now, you know. Wow,
2: wow. So, so, it's,
5: it's, so then, it, it was so, traumatic.
2: So you decided, right? Let's see if we can open one uh, locally. I mean, how do you go about opening up a pet crematorium?
5: Uh, I think you have to be half crazy. That's that's the first thing to be, even, even to start. Uh, the rules and regulations and the planning the planning requirements around it are are are, are, are they're just crazy. Um, I travelled the length and the breadth of 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 all South Kilkenny, all over County Waterford, now looking for a premises that was that was finally acceptable. Uh, to the to the to the planners and the department and i actually ended up 300 meters away from my own house i i I, in a place i didn't even know was here so uh, it's 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 it's, there's a lot of paperwork there's a lot of rules regulations reports it's it's just crazy um but it's once you get there it's it's very very well worthwhile
2: yeah now talk to me about how the service actually operates
5: what I do is I don't have uh, uh, vans going around the country, you know, calling to vets and all. I, I depend solely on people's uh, reviews and their experiences and they're passing on information to each other uh, about about the service that we provide here. So we I usually end up with I just get a phone call. Uh, someone's very upset at the end of the phone saying the dog has just passed or the dog has gone to the vet. <coughs> sorry, excuse me. Um, and can I help them? Uh, and in that case, I I I usually I, I like people to bring their animal here to to me so that they can see that it's not a big factory I'm running here. It's only a little small family uh, family operated crematorium. There's, on, there's only myself and my niece really working here full time. Um, and within a couple of days, then they're coming back to me uh, to collect the ashes of their pet. And when I say pet, I mean I I've I cremated. Dogs, cats—you know the normal, what you call normal pets. But I've done some of the—I I mean, i i have cremated a a monkey. I've cremated sugar gliders, spiders, rats—you name it. I've cremated them at this stage. A, monk, a monkey. <laughs> a little monkey. Yeah, one oh. little monkey. A little, little thing, you know. But uh, he—that's the—he's the, the only—he's the, the only exotic I've done. Well, I mean, oh. a wolf would be exotic as well as suppose. I, a I, wolf. I, I've cremated a wolf as well. A wolf, who, yeah. Who had a wolf? A wolf somebody yeah. had
2: a wolf as a pet.
5: Yeah, that, the, wolf, the wolf actually came from West Cork. I'm sorry. There's, there's, <laughs> one there's, of our there's wolf, one there's of wolves. There's wolves in West Cork. There
2: is indeed. <laughs> and, and I was on your website uh, yesterday, Eamon. Yeah. Uh, you have a goodbye room.
5: I have. What, what, what we're trying to do is, we're, we're, I mean, if you, in, in, in the human world, a relation dies. The family knows. We. This is the the the. You know. This is what you do. You go to the our, our local undertaker. He dealt with all the family before, and he looks after everything. Right. Yeah. And that includes some place where you can have a wake, some place where you can sit down and say goodbye, uh, and that's what we do here. We we actually provide a full. Um. It's a funeral service for yeah. for your pets.
2: And like, that's what, that's I know that there will be people listening to us thinking we're off our heads even even talking yeah. like this about animals. But it's only when you have been a pet owner and when you have deeply loved an animal and then when you lose that animal, it is a bereavement in the family. There's no other way of putting it.
5: No, there, there is no other way to explain it. And you're right. There are people who just don't get it um i mean it's it's um it's it's a strange thing i'd see it even within with with, within families here you you could have you know the husband doesn't get it or the wife doesn't get it or the children don't get it and the rest of them are all in bits you know
6: yeah
5: Uh, you can't teach that to somebody and even if you could teach it they couldn't learn it it's 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 just they're just different people pet owners are you know um and uh, people think I'm crazy for what I'm doing and they think my customers are all crazy. But, they're not, um, they're, absolutely you know, not. they're
2: absolutely not, they're absolutely not and I know from our no, listeners because we do a weekly uh, Pet Corner and, and I know, you know, we often will get in really sad uh, messages and emails in from, from listeners because they've lost a much loved pet and you know, trying to work out when is the right time to introduce another pet and people find it just so and as, as you say, it's only other pet owners that can really understand that. So it's, I, I, think, I think the service you're offering uh, is is fantastic. But somebody, um, uh, Mary, is wondering, when you cremate the dogs or the animals, or whatever pets they are, are they all mm. put in together? How do you know for sure what ashes you're getting back? Now, you're very particular on this.
5: I'm, I'm so particular on this. Uh, I will go, I mean, I, I, I guarantee everybody that what happens here is one animal at a time. That's why I don't. I mean, if I if I cremated ten animals in a week, that's an awful busy week, you know. Uh, And I I will go so far as that if people want.
1: Selling a little, or a lot.
5: a short video taken on my phone uh of the 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 beginning of the cremation process now i won't show anybody the actual cremation process but they will see their own little pet going into the machine empty you know uh, and it just gives a little, uh, just a, another small little little bit of consolation to people. I'm, I mean, you wouldn't send, you know, your granny off with twenty grannies to be cremated. So why, you know, why why would you do it with your with your with your best friend? Your you know your your pet. That's that's just my 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 personal view on it. You know. But
2: does does that happen in other crematoriums for pets? Do you know?
5: I don't know. You don't know. I don't, I don't know. And okay. it would it wouldn't be right for me to say. No, okay. I know that there are. There are occasions when people will bring a dog to uh, to a vet or a cat or whatever to a vet, and the animal dies and they don 't want any ashes back or they don 't want anything so there is a there is obviously uh, you know mass cremation goes on there is a, and there's a definite need for that if we didn 't have it we 'd have a terrible problem with decaying animals all over the country yeah okay yeah so so let 's get that out of the way there is there is a need for it, but there is also a need for the service that i 'm providing where people can decide the level of involvement they want in it and they can if they have any special requests they can make them if they want to sit in the crematorium during the cremation i provide them with a chair to watch it you know there's it's 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 entirely up to themselves and there's a there's a definite need for that and it's a service that's actually growing every day as well so it's it's you know and, must be doing something and
2: as you say, you particularly like for the families uh, to come themselves if yeah. if if they're yeah. um close enough. But do you do you also offer a collect a collection service Do you?
5: I do, but you know, it's 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 something that I, I, I'm kinda of slow to do because it's I think it's it's part of the process. It's an Irish thing. You go to a funeral. Do you know it it's um it 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 it's it's a helpful thing for people to do to come to see to actually see the place here to to see the, where, where I am i mean i i 'm looking out on on uh, on Tremora Bay here on a fine day on, on, a, on a bad day you'll you see nothing but on a fine day you can actually look 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 across at brownstone head and the metal man it's a lovely place, yeah, and I think it it lets people it's just a way of saying goodbye i think it's good you know i think it's good for people and we 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 have a there's a girl who does a little bit of work here for me she's a a qualified bereavement counselor, and the number of people who Ring her and just say, you know, I can't handle this. Or it could be six months later when when they wake up some night and really, really miss the pet, and she's there on the end of the phone for them as well, you know. So that we we, we provide that as well, you know. That's
2: incredible. That really is incredible. But you see, the love of an animal, it's unconditional love. No matter what bad mood you're in, good mood you're in, your pet loves you regardless
5: there was a i i want to tell you a funny funny little story that, that happened to me when at the, when i started off here there was a there was a, an american gentleman was visiting his sister in cork and their her dog died and it was during lockdown and he couldn't go home and all he wanted was his own two pets that he had somewhere in america he was a priest actually this this man was and they arrived up here they got permission they went through all the checkpoints and all to come up here and they got they got up here with with this little dog and they were both very upset. And he, I, I said, God, I said, it, 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 isn't it, isn't it amazing how we get so upset over, over pets, you know? And he said, Do you know something. He said, think of this. He said, a, 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 an old man said to me. He said one time. He said, if you lock your wife and your dog in the boot of the car, he said and drive around all day. He said, there's only going to be one of those glad to see you when you open it, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought to myself, I thought to myself, this man, he has it such, you know, he, he, he understands it, you know. But, uh, and so, somebody's well, asking so,
2: how, how soon are the ashes returned and in what way do you return them?
5: I usually have ashes back. I, I strive to have it in 24 hours, right? I sometimes, I mean, there was, I've had, there's a lady came here to me this morning with, a, with a, a little cat. And by three o'clock today, she's going to have it back. Um, I certainly don't. I don't not subscribe to this thing of six, eight, eight ten, twelve weeks waiting for, for 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 ashes to come back. I think it's 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 very disrespectful. Um, but uh, so and they and they, they I used to do all the little statues of cats and dogs and you know uh, there was an awful lot of rubbish involved in it and an awful lot of expense. So now I just do little wooden caskets, and if people want when they're on holiday somewhere to see a little statue with that that say God that'd be lovely. Come back to me with the casket and the little statue, and I'll, I'll transfer the ashes into it for you. You'll buy it for a five or so on on some little market out in Spain or somewhere, and it'll be yours, and it'll be the only one like it in the country. So that's what I that's what I like people to do. You know? And
2: and do you do paw prints?
5: I do, I do. Ireland um, now, my 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 niece who who, who works at me, she she was she was at she was christened the the the, the Picasso of, of paw prints here a month ago, but. Uh, we do we do a clay a, a white pottery clay paw print. It's not a it's not an ink print, I, and the reason I do it is because I just could never manage to get a decent ink print. I just all only ever got a smudge. So we just we 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 take up the front paw just before the cremation. We trim off the excess fur from between the pads, and we push it into a little block of white pottery clay. So you get the last indented footprint your pet makes on the planet as oh, well.
2: Goodness me, goodness me. Um, a listener yeah. says, I'm really enjoying uh, listening to your guest. Uh, it was Eamon Cody of uh, Resting Pets in uh, Tremor. Tremor. We uh, lost a dog. Oh, my God. It was the saddest uh, day. My health actually went backwards following the loss of the dog. Um, yeah. uh, you, you always have to remember as well that some people don't have families. And the the pet, particularly a dog or a cat, can be the only family that they have. So the loss of a of a pet is very, very uh, deeply uh, felt. Um, Anne says, mm-hmm. "I buried my two boxers. It was like losing a member of the family." Uh, people are saying the same thing. And there's another lovely one in saying, uh, "Hi, Patricia. We have our fur. We had our fur babies cremated. We have our babies at home with us." Our vet actually uses the company that you're speaking with on the radio this morning. Our fur babies remain with us forever. Uh, thank you for that. And that's, so some people decide, some will bury the ashes, they might like to bury the ashes, but others hmm. will just keep the ashes at home with them forevermore.
5: Yeah, and what's happening as well now, Patricia, is that a lot of people nowadays, and it's just, just the way the way that, the way the the housing market has gone, people can't buy a house so they're renting a house.
6: Yeah.
2: And
5: you don't want to bury your dog in a rented garden that you might have to leave. I Do you know, n- I that's what's happening in the I, I didn't and, think and, of that. And, and, Say that again, sorry? I
2: didn't think of that. if you if you're if yeah, and, you're moving
5: and, and and it's happening a lot. And then I mean, apartments don't have gardens. You can't bury a dog on a balcony. Do you know? Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of people they just get a little bit of comfort knowing that that, that, that the little dog is I mean the little pets is there still, just in in, in a different form. Uh, you know, you've obviously you've yeah. obviously
2: done a number of uh, Cork pets because somebody else has been on to say Lisa here from Cork. When I lost Sam, uh, Patricia, that man you're speaking to, Eamon, he's an absolute uh, saint. I have my dog's ashes with me. Sam was my best friend, always and always be will always be. Uh, thanks to Eamon for the service that he uh, provides. So, and how busy are you,
5: uh, Patricia? do You know something I did not realise. How busy I was going to be right i i I'm retired right i'm sixty years of age I'm, i I'm retired, and I said this would be something i do for myself and my son give him a start you know um but it just it it it, it has just morphed into something that we never we never expected it to um uh, it's it's I'm very busy uh this week for example there's twelve animals gone through the doors here you know goodness man. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm trying to figure out somewhere now. I've been, I, for, for, for my 60th birthday, I've been sent all over the world to t- doing things that I, I always wanted to do by by, by by the family. And tonight I'm going to the opera down in Wexford. I'm going at four o'clock and I don't know how I'm going to hang up the phone. So I'm going to have to get someone to, to, to answer the phone for me. Just just to be honest, people, when people need you, you have to get an answer. You know, a, a, a machine is no good at that stage. So I'll have to get someone to answer the phone for me.
2: Okay, and you I know, know, I know you opened up in the middle of of COVID, so that would have been hard yeah. with social distancing, would
5: it? You know, I had I had people I had people driving here, and leaving their pet on the bonnet of my car, and they'd leave the money. Uh, there was one woman I always remember. She left the money under the wiper and the little cat in the box on, on the on the bonnet of the car and went away because they thought they had COVID in the house. You know, yeah. and she came back the next, she came back two days later and it was done, done the same way. I never actually got to shake hands with the woman, you know. But so COVID, COVID, COVID was difficult. Um, They say it, it, was, it was a crazy time to even try and start a business now, to be perfectly honest. No, sure, well I, done. I suppose well I, done. I, I, I must well, have been uh, half crazy uh, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> well, it. you've,
2: you've spotted the need. And Jim wants to know, is there a set price? For cremation or does it depend on the size no, of the
5: there, animal? There, there is no really set price on it because uh, it's like how long is a piece of string. But just an average, you know, little small dog, you're looking around 280 euros and right up to the giants. Then you know, you're your, your great danger that they'll be around 420. Yeah. That's that's yeah. that's the, the full service hauling. But, you know, so I, have, I do I have to have a minimum charge of 100 euros. Uh, because it just, it just, it just wouldn't, it wouldn't, wouldn't cover to, cost. To, to okay. not cover your costs. No. Okay, R- R- not. Resting, so
2: restingpets.ie. restingpets.ie. You're based in. Yeah. more More people want to find out more. Listen, I've really enjoyed our chat, and I can see a slew of comments coming in. I think whenever you mention the loss of a pet, it just opens yeah. a floodgate for so many people. We wish you good luck. Continue. Good luck with the business, Eamon, and thank um, you for taking Patricia, time out. Is, can
5: I yeah. Can, can I mention one thing to you there, please? We've been we've been nominated uh, for the, the the pet crematorium of the year. Okay. And it's a vote it's a vote on uh, on on uh, Facebook. So if people want to give me a little vote, I'd be delighted if they did and if they could just go on to if they go on to the, the, the Resting Pets Facebook page yeah. there's a link on it where, where, where people can, 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 can vote for us and it'd be great to get a, to get a, bit, a little and bit of recognition for I'm, it. And you know?
2: there is such a competition as crematorium of the year for pets.
5: It's, 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 it's actually, it's the National Pet uh, Awards. There's, there's oh. awards for, you know, the best vet and the oh. best veterinary nurse and all that type yeah. of stuff. And I'm in it, I, I, I'm in it in, in the, the pet bereavement section, I oh. believe, I'm in, the, I'm in the morbid section of it. So,
2: <laughs> well, listen, yes, so. uh, Eamon, uh, keep doing the fantastic work that you're doing because you are bringing comfort uh, to so many, which is great. And it's with pleasure talking to you. Thank you for that.
5: No problem. Give me a call anytime. Talk Good
2: morning. Bye bye. Bye bye. That is Eamon Cody of Resting Pets in uh, Tremor 0818 103 103. I can see, as I say, a lot of uh, texts coming in. I lost my beautiful little cat. He was like my shadow. Uh, I had him create cremated. He was 13, nearly 14. I miss him so much. I cried every single day. Uh, day. Um, it's, and, and that listener has, doesn't want her name called out, which is fine, but it's just sent out a picture of a beautiful, beautiful uh, cat. And somebody else says, We lost our dog, Posh, in January. Oster had had her cremated. We got the ashes back in a lovely little casket with her name and date on it. And we were delighted to get the ashes back. It was all so emotional. <laughs>
1: To protect, brought to you by C103, the IBI, and funded by the Commission Naman with the television licence fee. Check out ours for more info.
8: This week on Ours to Protect, we bring you some spectacular ideas on how to cut down on food waste with lots of recipes. Meaning the pumpkin isn't just for carving. Around 800,000 tonnes of food waste is generated in the country every year and Ireland has committed to halving food waste by 2030 under a UN Sustainable Development Goal. The Environmental Protection Agency launched a new food waste charter earlier this year. Membership of the charter is open to businesses that produce, process, manufacture, distribute or sell food and drink and to supporting organisations that commit to championing the food waste charter within their areas of responsibility. Signing the Food Waste Charter is a pledge to take action to reduce food waste. At home, people can also do what they can to reduce food waste. With it being Halloween, Cork TV chef Jack O'Keefe shares some handy pumpkin
9: recipes. If you haven't carved the pumpkin, it's just literally take the whole pumpkin, skin everything, preheat your oven to about 225 degrees Celsius, bang the pumpkin on an oven tray right into the centre of the oven, when the pumpkin goes in, then turn it, turn the oven's temperature down to about 180, and let it slow roast for about 45 to 50 minutes. And I'm telling you, it's going to be one of the most unbelievable things ever. You can just carve it in like a piece of meat. You know, it's all falls apart, and you have this soft, spongy, beautiful flesh inside it. And that can go with anything. Like. Well, I would take that, i cut it up, put it, mix it through salads. What I love to do at home is once the oven, once the pumpkin is roasted, you see it's so much easier to peel. The skin just pulls straight off, and you can pull all the seeds off, pop it all into a blender with a knob of butter, a little bit of cream, and a little bit of vegetable stock, and just blitz it up, season it with salt and pepper. And like that can be the most delicious puree ever. And you can take that puree. And you can mix it through pastas or whatever, or you can make it a little bit thinner by adding more stock to it, and then you have a most beautiful roast pumpkin soup. It just the possibilities are endless. But one of my another favorite I have is, let's say you have a raw pumpkin, um, just cut it up into wedges, right? Leave the skin on it as well. Cut it up into like half moon wedges, big steaks, and then just oil them up with some rapeseed oil, salt, pepper. And the fresh rosemary, toss it all together in an oven tray, bang it into the oven 180 degrees for about 35 to 40 minutes. And then take that pumpkin and you can you can use it instead of using roast carrots so that you're not going out to the shop buying veg that you already have in the house to sort of reducing your food waste. Uh, or what I love to do at this time of the year, you know, we tend to go for the time for eating sat No one really craves the s- salads when it's wet, miserable and cold like it is right now. So... But a pumpkin salad is absolutely delicious. And what I would do is I take those pumpkin wedges that we've roasted, off and just toss them with some, like, rocket and a few other mixed leaves or whatever, crumbled up blue cheese and some toasted hazelnuts and pumpkin seeds. It's absolute winner.
8: Jack is hosting a cookery demo at Cork's Marina Market on Saturday, November 4th, with a tutorial on how to use up leftover pumpkins from midday. This time of the year is when root vegetables are popular and there's so much opportunity.
9: One, it's colder, so we're eating more to warm our bodies up. So you're, 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 you can allow yourself to eat more food this time of the year, so you're not throwing it in the bin. And the other thing is, this time of the year is when most of our local uh, producers and farmers, when it comes to root vegetables, it's it's the bounty time of the year. It's when everything is in production. It's like you've leeks, you've carrots, you've all your root vegetables, you've celeriac, sweets, turnips, pumpkins, butternut squash, beetroot, and on and on and on and on. Everything is coming out of the ground now and has been coming out of the ground for the last few weeks. So it's the perfect time for really good veggies.
8: When it comes to avoiding food waste at home, Jack
9: has these tasty ideas for homemade stocks. Let's say you've loads of kales and leeks and onions and they're not looking the best or they're about to go in the bin. What I'll do is I'll just peel them all, chop them up roughly, pop them into a cold saucepan, a big saucepan, the kind of saucepan you'd make, you'd cook your ham in at Christmas time. Pop in some cold water, a bit of garlic and whatever herbs you've knocked around the garden. Bring it up to the simmer for about an hour or two. Turn it off, strain off all the veg. You can get rid of that veg. And then what you've left now is a stunning vegetable stock, which will add flavour and depth to all your meals at home. You can also do a lovely little trick where... If you have um, ice cube trays, pour that vegetable stock into the ice cube trays, and then freeze them in the ice cube trays. And then you have these your own little homemade frozen stock pots. Let's say, for example, um, and that's it. That's another great way of reducing it.
8: The tricks and treats of using up what's left at home will help to reduce food waste. To find out more, you can head along to Jack's Pumpkin Demo, visit foodwastecharter.ie, or check the show notes of this episode.
6: Ours
1: to Protect, brought to you by C-103, the IBI, and funded by the Commission Naman, with the television license fee. Check out ourstoprotect.ie for more info.
2: Wonderful musical talent. Nobody better, I suppose, than the late great uh, The Beatles. I can't wait for this documentary that's going to drop uh, next week and the story behind all of this. It's uh, to do with a new release. Can you believe new material coming from a new song coming from The Beatles and seemingly Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr have uh, both spoken of feeling really emotional ahead of the release. Uh, what they are calling now the last Beatles song uh, ever. The song is called Now and Them. Uh, the song was written and sung by John Lennon and then later developed by the other band, band members which also uh, included uh, George Harrison and has been it's now been finished off obviously by Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr decades after the original recording was made. Now the track was sourced from a John Lennon demo and it's used technology just to isolate his voice and it's going to be released on Thursday of next week. But the day prior to that on Wednesday of next week a 12 minute documentary that's going to be released with the new song which kind of gives the background uh, to how the song uh, came about. Now seemingly the original demo was recorded by John Lennon sometime in the late 1970s he was at his home actually in uh, New York and then following his death in 1980 John Lennon's wife Yoko Ono gave the recording because she realised this was one of the last ever recordings made by John Lennon so she gave it to the remaining Beatles around 1995 and said look, I don't know if you can do anything with this but you know, feel free, uh, you, can, you can have it so they got it in the in the 90s and during that period uh, George Harrison, Paul McCartney. Cartney and Ringo Starr recorded new parts and they completed what was a kind of a rough mix of Now and Then with producer Jeff Lynne. However, the band didn't release the song and they were citing uh, issues that they had extracting John Lennon's vocals and the piano in a very clear mix. And what was wrong was there was limited technology at the time. And of course, then we know that George Harrison, he passed away a couple of years later in in 2001. So the audio restoration technology, obviously that has really come on and has really developed uh, since. So suddenly they were at a situation where they were able to extract just John Lennon's voice. And Paul McCartney says, there it was, John's voice crystal clear and he said it was really quite emotional and we all got to play on it it is a genuine he said an absolutely 100% genuine Beatles recording so this year to, he said, this year, 2023 to still be working on Beatles music and about to release a new song that the public haven't heard. He said, I think it's quite an exciting thing. So Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr finished off the song last year, which included George Harrison's electric and acoustic guitar that they had recorded back in 1995 when they tried to get the song quality to the best that they could to release it. So they have the updated version from uh, George Harrison. Uh, Ringo Starr's drum part then was added a lot Along with bass guitar, piano, and a slide guitar soloist, which is performed by uh, Paul McCartney, Ringo Starr says it was the closest we will ever come to having John Lennon back in the room so he says it was really really emotional and John Lennon's son Sean says it was incredibly touching to hear them working together after all these years after all the years that my dad has been gone and the documentary is called Now and Then The Last Beatles Song and it'll premiere next Wednesday 1st of November at half past seven and you can access it through the Beatles YouTube channel and then the following day the song uh, will be released and they're releasing it as a double uh, A-side and what other song can they release, can they put it with, except the Beatles' debut single, uh, Love Me Do. So it's the first and uh, the last. That really is quite uh, special. But I went on to the Beatles' YouTube channel before I came on air this morning and they actually have a little promo out of the documentary that you, had. you can see. It looks like it's going to be a lovely, lovely piece uh, to watch. So mark that one in the diary for next uh, Wednesday. Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. Some of your calls coming in on this... This made me smile. Hi, Patricia. My dog and I are sitting here listening to the radio. We were listening to you talk with Eamon about pet cremation and pets passing uh, away. And just as you were finishing the interview, he looked at me in disgust and he turned the other way. (laughs) I've upset a dog this morning. My apologies to your dog. Give him an extra treat for me, would you please? Jim and Clannacilty, this is on speeding when we're talking about, unfortunately, the number of road fatalities that we've had on our roads this year. And it's looking like, and I'd hate to say it, but it's looking like if it keeps up, we're going to have a record year for deaths on our roads. And they're all families whose lives have been absolutely destroyed by losing a loved one in a car accident. And let's not forget the people who didn't pass away but had life-altering and life-changing injuries. Their lives would never be the same uh, either. And it came up in the doll yesterday, what what, what can we do to make our roads safer? Jim and Clannacilty is uh, pointing the finger blame at speed. He said speed is getting worse. He said the speed limit limit is a mockery. He says in Switzerland, Switzerland, and I didn't know this, if you're caught speeding in Switzerland, you're instantly disqualified. Jim thinks it's for about six weeks. He said that is the only way that people will actually start to obey the speed limit. He also points to the fact that we don't have enough enforcement uh, before, he says, many years ago. When he'd be out and about, he'd always come across a guy at the checkpoint when he was coming to or from his house near Clannacilty. Now he said you would rarely see a checkpoint. And actually that got me thinking, I can't even remember the last time I was stopped at a checkpoint, I, you know, bar say COVID times, but they were different times where we were being checked for something very different. But I can't remember when I was actually, remember when you used to be stopped for, they used to check your tax and uh, insurance can't remember when I was last uh, stopped either. Thanks for that, uh, Jim. Les, once, Les then says on keeping our roads safe, can I ask a question, please? Why are we the only country that allows people who have failed their driving test to continue driving. And and I don't quite know the point you're making there, Les. Les. I mean, lots of people failed their driving test first time round and they go back out and they continue to maybe get extra lessons or they continue to get more experience. So I don't know what you're suggesting when you say somebody fails their driving test. And of course, if they fail their driving test, they have to have a qualified driver ready then to sit in with them when they drive home. So I don't quite get the point you're making if you want to expand on it. Maybe I'm missing your point. And Morris says, Patricia, dangerous driving is a major uh, issue. But does anybody look at the type of cars we have today? The speed that some of the modern cars can get to is quite frightening. Recently, says Maura, I drove my daughter's Ford Focus. I felt it was like holding back a racehorse. The engines that are in cars today are simply too fast and the bodies of cars, some of them crumple like a tin can. Do we need to go back and look at the engines that we put into cars? And I suppose that would tie in with putting limiters inside in uh, cars, you know, that you could only get to a certain speed not everyone uh, is up for that. Oh uh, eight one eight one zero three one zero three. Uh, hi Patricia. I thought listeners might be interested. Following on from your piece about the pet cremation, I actually do funeral ceremonies for pets. I am a one spirit interfaith minister, as has been said before already on your program. People often feel as much grief when a pet dies as when a person dies. So our ceremony often helps with the process of uh, grieving. I was not aware of that. There you go, um, somebody doing funeral ceremonies. But listening to Eamon, he, they, they have a bereavement counsellor. People actually go for bereavement. Again, you're going to have people going, what the hell are you talking about? It's only a dog, it's only a cat or it's only a wolf in the case of one that Eamon had to cremate from uh, West Cork. But if... Uh, When you lose a much-loved pet, it really is. It really, really is uh, like a death in uh, the family. And hi, Patricia, when I mentioned the Beatles, I used to work in a music school and I actually met Yoko Ono. Sean, her son, was there auditioning to enter the school. That's a West Cork listener uh, from the UK now living in uh, West Cork. Uh, 0818 103 103 John Paul's taking your calls. I want to give a quick mention to this uh, because I got a lovely email in from a young uh, TY student in Davis College in Mala, Mallow called Amanda and she is involved with the Hope Immersion Project which is the uh, Hope Foundation um, who do the most amazing work in, uh, in Calcutta and she's trying to raise funds for the charity. So, she's organized a fundraising event on women's health and menopause. And her plan is is to bring in doctors and certified trainers to speak to women on women's issues but to speak about mental health menopause and fitness one of our speakers is Dr Deirdre Lundy who will give a talk on women's health and specifically the menopause Uh, she's a doctor from Dublin she specialises in women's reproductive health and uh, she's done she's done many media uh, uh, appearances, and she's also written a book on the subject so she'd be well worth going along uh, to uh, here. and um, Amanda says that she wants the event to be something with meaning that at the same time will aid the Hope Foundation uh, charity. So she has asked me to give it a mention. It is going to happen next Friday night, this night, week. 3rd of November 7 o'clock in the Hibernian Hotel in uh, Mallow and I'm assuming if you contact Davis College you'll be able to get tickets and no doubt tickets will be available on the door as well so that sounds like a really good informative night next Friday night in the Hibernian Hotel in uh, Mallow a 7 o'clock start and good luck to Amanda with her fundraising for the Hope Foundation
1: The C103 Cork Diary
2: With Cork County Council
1: delivering roads and
2: housing community
1: and business supports all across the county see Corkcoco.ie The Lord
2: Mayor of Cork, Councillor Kieran McCarthy, is launching the Innescara Historical Society's 2023 journal. He's launching it tonight, Innescara Centre, and non-members particularly welcome. Kaylee Setz will go ahead in the Marion Hall in at uh, tonight. Dancing is from half nine. It's to Michael Sexton. Admission 10 euro, which includes your teas. Some bingo on tonight. Kildollary bingo goes ahead tonight. Eight o'clock start at the store of the Creamery Yard with a jackpot of €2,700. And the weekly bingo at Mallow GAA Complex is on tonight. 8.15. Their jackpot is €6,700. And all fundraising funds raised goes to the running of Mado GAA uh, club and Ballydehob old time threshing and vintage weekend is on this weekend it's all in aid of Cancer Connect uh, Cork Southwest Autism and West Cork Rapid Response. Tomorrow, Saturday, there's a monster tractor, car, and motorcycle run. That's from Bally to Hobbit, half one. And then on Sunday, they're going to have old time threshing, dog show, and many more side uh, shows. And Mallow Arts Collective, they've got a busy weekend. It's Halloween events running this weekend. There's a children's competition with great uh, prizes, and they're asking people to count the cats in shop windows and get your entry in before five o'clock uh, tomorrow. There's also a Halloween Spooktacular which will be held at the Mallow Castle grounds on Monday between two and five.
1: Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. See MIG.ie.
2: Some of your texts coming in. Sheila says, Patricia, listen to your programme this morning, the way the church is going, our pets will be getting better funerals then we will says our uh, Sheila and then trying to make our roads safer Heidi says Patricia it's so easy to point the finger of blame to say all of the accidents are down to speed but we have to really look at the state of our roads overgrown hedges poor road signage poor road marking and potholes etc there's a combination of things uh, can cause uh, accidents yeah you're right on that Heidi uh, for sure it isn't just speed but speed let's be honest does attribute to a number of accidents Patricia hi there's simply too many cars on our roads today. Now I understand people who live in rural areas they don't have adequate or any public transport and therefore they need to drive. Other countries have excellent public transport and therefore they have less cars on the road. Too much traffic congestion Particularly at school drop-off and pick-up time, all of that needs to be addressed. Uh, I could be delayed for a half an hour on a journey because of schools. And bearing in mind fuel is so expensive, so if you're driving along, stopping and starting, stopping and starting, it is costing you money uh, as well. I mean, there's that big push. Should we have all of the children? Should be? Should there be school buses? all over the country, not just for children in rural areas so that everybody could jump on the school bus as they do in other countries. So, wait, 18, 103, 103. And someone says a lot of drivers are passing out in very stupid places and they're taking massive risks doing it. Some of these drivers think they own the road. They think they're the only people on it. And this particular texture is pointing the finger at blame at BMW and Audi Drivers. So if you own a BMW or if you own an Audi, this listener's pointed the finger of blame, you're taking stupid and massive risks on the road. I don't know how Audi and BMW drivers are going to feel about that. 0818103103. And Tim Implarny says he was absolutely shocked to read this morning in the paper about the price of parking at the Cliffs of Moher. I read this story actually before I came on air this morning. It's uh, Ken Fox uh, writing in The Examiner uh, today. And, uh, you know, the Cliffs of Moher, it's probably one of Ireland's most famous tourist uh, attractions uh, in the country. But there's a bone of contention with visitors and locals who are complaining because there has been a steep rise in the cost of parking your car if you want to go to visit the Cliffs of Moher. Now, the Cliffs of Moher is now known as the Cliffs of Moher Experience. They have received multiple complaints this year alone uh, from people complaining. One person saying they felt scammed, while another group were told they were being charged because they left a carbon footprint in the area and that was the reason for the charge. Now, in one gripe, a person who has visited the Cliffs of Moore multiple times said they arrived at the cliffs with two people in the car expecting that they were going to be charged 10 euro for parking the car. However, when they went up to pay, they were charged 32 euro because it was based on the number of people that were in the car. And they said they were shocked at what they see as a huge increase. And a message says, I am most annoyed at being ripped off in this way and I would like to complain and I actually request a refund on what was a huge overcharging. I know the entry gate has the price displayed, But I feel the difference in the charge at the gate is outrageous. And I also feel there should be some allowance for visitors from County Clare, particularly people who are frequent visitors. Another person uh, complained and wrote how 15 teenagers from various counties, from around the, oh not counties, various countries, um, had all gone on a business obviously on some tour of Ireland but they all went along to the cliffs of Moher. They wanted to go for a walk uh, to, to discover they were going to be charged 10 euro uh, each. So they spoke with the management or I take it with somebody organising the trip spoke with the management to say why are all these young people being charged uh, 10 euro each and they were told It was because they arrived by bus that if they had walked the immunity and there was no vehicle parked up, they wouldn't have been charged 10 euro each. And when they were asked, you know, how are you working that out? How does that figure come? It's because they left a carbon footprint. So the organiser of the trip was saying, so is it a carbon tax or is it an entry fee? Another person says it was unfair to be hit with the charge for using the visitor centre and other facilities when really all they wanted to do was go for a walk along the cliffs and take some nice uh, photographs. This this person who complained said, I reluctantly paid the fee so as not to disappoint my son who I'd brought with me to see the Cliffs of Moher. I was even more disappointed to discover that not one uh, one person then asked to see the ticket that we purchased. I feel at this stage that I was scammed out of my money. And a spokes... And the, by the way, the, the complaints were released uh, under the Freedom of Information by uh, Clare County Council. Now... In the defence, a spokesperson for the Clips of Mohor experience said, it was a purpose built safe viewing point that provided information and services to visitors. The charge on entry to the car park or coach park is not a parking charge. It's a per person charge for an all inclusive experience ticket with parking included. They say, we do not offer separate charges, or parking only charges. And they added that there was an on-site team to provide assistance to visitors, uh, complimentary services and to carry out litter picking and conservation work around the cliffs because there was somebody else that complained that her husband drove her to the spot. The husband remained in the car but they were charging for the husband as well, even though he didn't get out of the car and didn't want to do the Cliffs of Moher uh, experience. So is that is that a bit of uh, a, a rip-off but they seemingly, they've had a huge number of complaints this year. It'll be interesting to see as we go into for next year, if they start to get more and more complaints. Because the problem is if they get too many uh, complaints or if it's word of mouth, and people are saying don't go there, it's too expensive. But €10 euro per person. I, I And I remember when the Cliffs of Moher introduced that, I always thought it was a parking fee. I didn't realise it was a per person. So if you're going in a car, and you you know, you have five people in the car, you expect to pay to park the car but not per person but it is a per person charge so a bit of warning to you but Tim in Blarney was shocked when he saw how much they are actually uh, charging eight one eight one oh three one oh three John Paul taking your calls Marion says we give a shout out to Middleton GAA bingo that's also on this evening I mentioned the other bingos but the Middleton one wasn't on RG <laughs> wasn't on our community diary so bingo on in Middleton tonight at half past seven <coughs>
1: You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
2: We're talking about pets and losing pets. Anne wants to point out that a dog is great company. Can be a lot better company than some of the two-legged ones, says Anne. We won't say anything else there. And we're talking about the Cliffs of Moher. Here's a tip if you're planning on going to the Cliffs of Moher. Somebody says, when you drive to the Cliffs of Moher and you have more than yourself in the car... Drop off the people in the car at the centre and then only one person heads to the car park to park the car. That way you only get charged the 10 euro. You won't get charged per person. There's a good tip for somebody. And somebody's come in defence of Audi drivers when somebody said it's BMW and Audi drivers are the ones doing all of the speeding. Hi, Patricia, I drive an Audi and it's the smaller and older cars that I notice overtake. They feel they have the power to overtake a powerful car like my Audi. They end up then breaking the speed limit to do so as they simply don't have the power in the smaller cars to do it safely safely so they are the ones speeding your listener is wrong 0818 103, 103 and just on 3 Network if you're on the 3 Network there seems there is some problems some issues this morning multiple customers are reporting no signal or they can't connect to the network that warning is come up on their phones the 3 Network obviously is aware of it and they're working to sort it out and before we go to Mark. Can anybody offer advice to Kay? No, I don't know. She's somewhere in East Cork. Is she Middleton, John Paul? Uh, North Cork. Um, Her home was affected by flooding last week and she contacted the flood helpline given, spoke to an extremely helpful, friendly uh, person. She said the people couldn't have been more helpful. But then unfortunately, by accident, a family member took her mobile phone. So when they were trying to get back to her, Kate didn't have the phone with her. There was nobody to answer it, and she ended up missing a number of calls from a Mallow number. She reckons it was more than some more than likely somebody who was dealing with the flood uh, ish uh, flood issue. Now she's ran back the number, but the message keeps coming up that the number is not in use. She's tried the mobile numbers for the Irish Red Cross, but they're of no use. They're the head office. They say you have to go through it locally. So she's now trying to make contact with somebody from the Irish Red Cross obviously in Mallow or Charleville area or anyone from the local branch who is dealing with people affected by flooding if anybody can help her because she really needs the help and she needs it ASAP so if anybody can help us with that if you can give John Paul a call because he has all of Kay's details 0818 103 103 Mark Malone our movie re- reviewer joins us good afternoon Mark Hi Patricia and you're very welcome now you went uh, you to the movies to Killers of the Flower Moon and I'm just told we don't have a trailer which is fine and then also on my behalf, I asked you to watch a documentary series on Netflix, Welcome to Wrexham, which we'll talk about in a moment. But firstly, tell me about your movie, Killers of the Flower
6: Moon. Yeah, it's based on the true story and an extraordinary true story. And it's a, it's a story of heartache and violence and nastiness. And it's um, it's hard to believe uh, throughout the whole time you're watching this and you're thinking this only happened 100 years ago I mean it's not as if it was centuries ago it only happened I mean, within many people's kind of um, I wouldn't say their lifetimes now but certainly you know my, my, I think my father yeah, yeah, certainly my, my yeah. father was born in 1920 do you know what yeah, I mean so, yeah. so uh, what's the story so the story is about uh, the Osage Nation and uh, in the early 1920s and um, as you pro- probably know historically they were moved off reservations they were constantly being moved and they were being moved on to terrible terrible what they could Considered to be terrible lands, and so that uh, so the,
2: the Native American Indians,
6: Native American Indians, okay. yeah, the, the Osage County, yeah, um, nation, and uh, so they're basically pushed onto this terrible land in Oklahoma. The thing is that that the land actually turns out to be very rich because what they discover. Is huge amounts of oil. So, what basically happens is that this Native uh, Native American tribe go from having absolutely nothing on what they consider to be terrible land to some of the richest people in America. And as you could imagine, having been kind of uh, abused, uh, they suddenly become very attractive to certain uh, kind of white settlers who find, uh, you know, all of a sudden an interest not only in, you know, this area, uh, but also the uh, Osage Nation themselves. And they try to intermarry. Now we're introduced uh, very early on to Leonardo DiCaprio. He plays this character called uh, Ernest, who comes back from World War One. Not the smartest, uh, you know, man in the world. Meets up with his uncle here, played by um, Robert De Niro, who plays the character of uh, William Hale, William King Hale. So he expects everybody to call him King. He's a very, very rich man and seems to have a kind of a relationship, a very good relationship uh, with uh, the Osage Nation. He um, he speaks their language and seems, you know, outwardly to really, really. Care about these people that's not actually the case because um, he is a man of has nefarious purposes when it comes to his relationship with uh, the Osage nation greed indeed, and so basically what begins to happen is that members of this tribe begin to be killed and murdered, and many of them become ill um, what they call a wasting disease, but of course nobody has any idea really what it is and um and of course, as the film kind of progresses, we find, in fact, that the, one of the reasons is, is that what they're trying to do is they're trying to intermarry into uh, the Osage Nation. And then, of course, people are found dead. And that means they're hoping that the transfer of riches will be transferred. To them through marriage, it's an extraordinary story. And when Martin Scorsese, um, you know, first found the book for this, I mean, initially the book was about the formation of uh, the FBI. Uh, but in fact, when he began to read the story, and initially they had a script and it was a long script, he thought, um, "Well, this I'm more interested really in 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 the Native American story uh, here." And so, therefore, he met with Osage Nation elders and he began to come more, become more interested in their story as opposed to uh, the story in the book, which was basically about, as I say, uh, the of uh, the FBI. Um, it's an extraordinary film. It really is. I mean, it's and it's another one of the eighty films that are over three hours long. Uh, now, of course, th- we know the reasoning for that because this is going to end up on streaming. This is um, um, uh, an Apple Plus movie, uh, which has been sent to cinemas, thankfully, be- be- before that, because it is an extraordinary film to look at. But obviously, they don't really mind if it's three hours long, because if you're at home, of course, you, you can, can pause it at any time. And so that's one of the reasons why it's uh, three hours long. Um, and it was a difficult watch for me in the cinema to be brutally honest with you because you know you had to go to the bathroom beforehand yeah. and I'd recommend people, first of all it's a huge film, I mean the, the cinematography the, the performances, everything about the film is really really extraordinary uh, the score by Robbie Robinson who sadly passed away a couple of months before the uh, film was released and his score is absolutely extraordinary, the cinematography is amazing and the, the performances are really quite good it's, I think it's the first time though in, to, for me, I've always been a huge admirer of Leon, Leonardo DiCaprio, here he's wearing kind of false teeth and um, and. He's He's kind of grumbling his way. He's decided that's the way he'd kind of portray his character. And Robert De Niro, even though he's very good, we've seen De Niro play this kind of sleazy, kind of nasty yeah. kind of character before. He does it well. He does it very well. Yeah. Indeed, he does. Um, as um, Martin Scorsese points out, though, the film isn't really a "Who Done It." It's who didn't do it basically everybody in that kind of area wow. was involved. I mean it's an extraordinary horrible, violent, nasty story and uh, the thing is it, it's, it's hard to believe that it's uh, all true It's uh, one of the most expensive films ever made for streaming. It had a $200 million budget I think it's gotten back about $50 million of that but I don't think Apple Plus are too worried about that. I think the streaming services tend not to be because they know it's going to end up there and it's one of the things, if you have Apple Plus I do, uh, but if you do, then you, you, you might cinema? wait I'd recommend you to go and see it in the cinema because it is huge. Yes, two hours in, and I should point out that um, um, at, at Jesse Plemons, who plays the FBI guy, or, or what was to become the FBI, he doesn't arrive into the film about, until about two hours in, and that's when you make you realize it makes you realize then that there's another hour to go. And I found that very, very difficult. Uh, but there's always something interesting happening, and that's due to good direction and great editing. And so throughout the film, I was never bored. Um, and yes, it's a gripping story, isn't it? It's an extraordinary story. It's yeah. a shocking story. Um, Lily Gladstone. Who plays the character of uh, Lily here uh, is uh, is an extraordinary uh, Molly. I beg your pardon is a, is is an extraordinary actress, and uh, she is without doubt the best thing for me uh, in the film. But uh, I would certainly recommend it. It's a long watch, whether or not you wait for it to to, to watch it on streaming or not. Uh, at least watch it because it is fascinating yeah. and interesting. And it's of course Daisy had his very best. I think,
2: and uh, you know, it's genocide of uh, the, the the Osage people before genocide was even known known about. Uh, shocking. Okay, killers of the flower. Moon market out of ten. I'll
6: give it uh, nine.
2: Nine out of ten. Okay. And then I asked you on Disney Plus to watch Welcome to Wrexham. Now I have to say I was late to the party on this one because I think Welcome The the season one of Welcome to Wrexham, I think it came out last year. It did, I think, it Wasn't it last year? Mm -hmm. And they're actually up to um, season, they're kind of halfway through uh, season two. Okay, for people who have never seen Welcome to Wrexham, just the background story to
6: it. Um, okay, I'm going to to twist this now. What exactly, what attracted you to watch this, by the way?
2: Um, I was looking around for something to watch and I'd heard other people talk about it and all I said oh that's the Ryan Reynolds one and I, I like Ryan Reynolds I said, oh, I, I, and I was gripped once I went into the first one I was just gripped
6: because you wouldn't be a football fan would you?
2: I'm a bit of a soccer fan but I wouldn't be hugely uh, hugely into it no I'd be more into the, like when the internationals play and that and I'd keep an eye on what's happening in the, in the various leagues but
6: no yeah exactly But, but I know you it's,
2: don't need to be a soccer fan not at
6: all because uh, this is not this is not necessarily about football this, no. this is about people it's, yeah. a, it's a human drama is what this is. And it's extraordinary. And, um, you know, I, I, I. I- I kind of thought, do I want to watch this? Because I, I didn't particularly like the idea of these very rich Americans coming into to what's a working class town and, and taking over a working class kind of club. And my first initial reaction was a bit—I bit, was a bit cynical about it all, to be really honest with you. Having watched it, um, my attitude and, and my opinion has changed slightly. Well, so, I think
2: the people of Wrexham were very cynical at the start, saying, "What is this?" And you can't it?
6: blame them for that either, to, you know. And that's the thing. I mean, the thing about—well, it's about uh, Rob McElhenney who probably best known for It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia and of course Hollywood superstar Brian Reynolds. Uh, They decide to buy uh, this small little football uh, team in Wales and um at first, you do kind of think you're very, you are kind of cynical about it because we've seen, you know, um, a lot of people w- with a lot of money buying up clubs, and of course, the money has meant success for them, which is what a lot of the locals in Wrexham were wish, wishing for and and, and and hoping for. And initially, as you saw and you heard, that uh, there's there was a lot of cynicism about it. Um, but it has worked. It has to be said, even though to, you know they spent an awful lot of money. I think they've lost about three million, yeah. I think, in the last few years. But look, come on, they'll let's, make it back. Let's put how much. Did uh, Disney plus and Disney pay them for for the two series and Wait, also
2: that's never been mentioned and yeah.
6: there's there's references to aviator G and just everywhere and that, that amount of free advertising is, is is absolutely huge there's a lot of uh, humor here as well I think the two boys you know are having a good time even though it 's very very difficult to, you know and the amount of money they're spending is quite extraordinary I mean at one stage I think uh, the, the pitch just dies on them and they 've got to re-change, they've got to change the pitch and that's going to cost them a hundred thousand pounds but I think for me what I loved about it because look soccer it 's a working class Uh, uh, sport and always has been it's changed over the last few years maybe with the big big money bucks you know and big big money players because when we meet the players and I say it's a human drama we get to know the players we get to know the people and they're not they're not all hugely rich do you know what I mean I think it pointed out at one stage that the average you know pay for these players was about 35,000 compared to 3 million in the Premier League and these were people with families and kids doing their best trying to become a, um, a professional footballer and trying to make a living out of playing professional football once well, earning not a huge amount of money, just pretty much, the you know, an average wage. And that's what I really, really liked about it. Um, I think... You know, it's very professional, though, this whole thing. I mean, there's a lot of money been put into this, I think. Um, it's beautifully directed. It's beautifully filmed. Uh, everybody's incredibly articulate. But I'd, so it makes me wonder sometimes, you know, have they been fed lines? Do you know what I mean? Especially the locals uh, and, who we get uh, and to know. And
2: how many takes, I, th- I think, as well.
6: Exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But it's always fascinating and interesting. What did interest me there's, in the first series, you've seen, you've gone on to the second series. There mm. were two episodes that I thought were really interesting that didn't deal with with um, the actual football there's a,
2: Actually in the second series there's a lot that doesn't deal with the football Yeah, I
6: mean one of the episodes where they deal with the hooliganism for example, yeah, yeah. Uh, issue, you know all of these teams have what they called you know, um, these this, this is the firm they're called, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is kind of a glamorises thuggery, read basically and they could very well, have, I mean, you know, the board of Wrexham could have said, look, we don't want to see, we don't want to promote but this they kind faced of stuff. up to it and it was quite explicit as well yeah. and nasty and exactly, and they dealt with it and I thought they dealt with it very, very well and then there's a wonderful episode then, near. The the end as well, where uh, this picture went viral of Ryan Reynolds congratulating Rob McElhenney after a game and hugging him, as opposed to his wife. And so therefore, <laughs> they then did a whole episode on men and men's relationship and with bro-mances. men. exactly, which yeah. I thought was lovely. You know, and it was yeah. nice to see that. But for me, it humanizes the players. You see how they react if they're sent off, and you see how upset they are uh, in 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 the. Um, in in the dressing rooms and also how vicious the game can be because they moved in and I think 11 players were let go that very first uh, you know season and um, and that's kind of shocking and heartbreaking Uh, but that's the reality of professional sport I'm afraid Uh, you know and I think with certainly the first series, I don't, we, we don't want to give away too much, I no. think, but the, it's the heartbreak, it's the highs, it's the lows, and the players have got to deal with that, and the fans have got to deal with that, and I think that's what I loved mostly about it.
2: Yeah, and when I came to the first uh, series, I was, I'm was. i really bad about, you know, with true stories. It's, it's like your previous one, Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, I'm desperate for Googling to find out all the information so that I normally know the storyline then before I sit down, and I decided one second into Welcome to Exxon, I said, OK, I'm not going to Google it. so I I ended up watching the entire first series not knowing what was and I'm not going to give it away what did happen mm-hmm. but not knowing what was going to happen and the stress levels. I was <laughs> shouting and roaring and come on Wrexham and, and then oh and they didn't get a goal and it's, 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 it's great. It really is great and I, I absolutely adore the chemistry between Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds. And I love the fact that Ryan Reynolds is the more famous of the two because it's Ryan Reynolds and the other guy.
6: And what I like about him is that uh, at one stage, Rob McElhenney, when he says, look, when I came up with the idea, I needed money. And he said, I I need Hollywood money and I needed uh, gin money. And of course, he was referencing uh, Ryan Reynolds. And at one stage, I think Ryan Reynolds referred to themselves as movie stars. And Rob goes, well, I'm more of a TV star, really, to be honest with you. You know what I mean? And I love that sense of honesty about them.
2: Yeah, yeah. And it is one for all the family
6: very mm, there's a bit of swearing no. in it oh know. yeah
2: well uh, yeah, yeah okay I didn't think of the swearing yeah but I think yeah but it's well worth well worth watching it is and it is on somebody saying where you is it don't on? have to be a football fan no, no. you absolutely don't welcome to uh, Wrexham season 1 is fully on Disney Plus and uh, you've got season 2 now to look forward to I'm, I'm almost jealous forward. of you okay listen enjoy thank you for that Mark <laughs> thank and thanks uh, for joining us okay that's where I have to wrap it up for today my thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing Nick Richards with you for the afternoon have a great time having a again. for
1: today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. C-M-I-G dot Hold up!